Lord, you are all we have. And Lord, I pray you are all that we want. And Lord, as we come to your word now, I ask that you would give us a spirit of wisdom and knowledge and understanding of the riches that are ours in Christ. And we pray these things in his name. Amen. Now you may be seated. Let's open up our Bibles to Matthew chapter 6. We're back in this gospel. Uh, Last Sunday we we looked kind of overview of this whole chapter, at least the first 18 verses. But now we're going to zero in on the Lord's Prayer. Uh, And I'm going to have us read verses 7 through 15. Matthew chapter 6. Verses 7 through 15. This is what Jesus says concerning prayer. And when you pray, do not heap up empty phrases as the Gentiles do, for they think that they will be heard for their many words. Do not be like them. For your Father knows what you need before you ask Him. Pray then like this. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our debts as we also have forgiven our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For if you forgive others their trespasses, your heavenly Father will also forgive you. But if you do not forgive others their trespasses, neither will your Father forgive your trespasses. Well, in the first years of being a Christian, I was faced with a crisis in my faith. I remember a particular time when this became a reality to me. I was uh, at a a prayer gathering with a group of Christians in our church, and at that time of my life, you know, uh, we we gathered, uh, and we'd be there any time there was something going at church, uh, we were there, And, and, and that's much of where many of you are today. Well, that was true even in my early days of being a Christian, but this was a, a prayer meeting. And it was during this prayer meeting that I became greatly troubled about something I realized about myself. I became troubled about my own relationship with Christ. See, as I began to listen to other mature believers, those who had been walking with Jesus much longer than me, as I began to listen to them pray, it struck me that I didn't pray like these people. And here were some of the things that were going through my mind is is everybody else is praying and I'm literally got my eyes open watching. When I pray, my prayers are flat while theirs seem to reach the heavens. My prayers are strained while theirs seem so natural. My prayers lack substance while theirs were filled with the riches of Christ. My prayers were out of duty, 
while theirs seemed to be out of joy. And what became readily apparent to me and what was greatly troubling was not so much that I wasn't experiencing the joyful intimacy of God that they were, although I I wanted that, but I wasn't even sure I had the desire to know Christ like they did. I didn't know how they were praying like that, let alone where where to begin to pray like that. I didn't know where those desires were coming from because I was noticing those are so foreign to the things that I love. And I didn't know what to do about it. I realized that my heart had many loves. Many loves. Things that would get me excited. But the Lord wasn't one of them. At least at this point in my life. I knew my prayers in this case were hypocritical. They were merely to be seen by others at this point. I was praying because, well, I'm at the prayer meeting. I'm supposed to. But I dreaded it because I didn't know how to pray. And what would have been so freeing for me, as I look back now, goodness, 15 to 18 years later, What would have been so freeing if someone had sat me down and taught me the Lord's Prayer? What would have been so freeing is if someone had sat me down, taught me the Lord's Prayer, and explained it so that I understood the purpose of prayer. My my troubled soul was due to a lack of knowledge at this point. I didn't know how to pray, and I didn't know why to pray. I just knew I couldn't do it. Jesus does just what we need. He presents to us what is widely known. I'm sure for some of you, as I was reading the Scripture, you were just reciting the Lord's Prayer to yourself. You might not have even turned to your Bibles there because you you knew it so well. Well, Jesus not only gives us here uh, in this prayer a model to pray, but a prayer which actually guides our hearts to find joy in the praise of our Heavenly Father. And that's what I want you to see today. Not only is this a a model prayer, in fact, it's the perfect prayer, but it's a prayer that actually guides us. It leads us as a shepherd would lead a sheep. It leads us and guides us and it teaches us how to cultivate a heart that loves, loves Him and loves our Father. Last Sunday, we looked at verses 1 through 18 as a whole where where Jesus was exhorting us to beware of religious hypocrisy. And that hypocrisy isn't a sense in which I say I pray, but I really don't. It's that I pray, but my heart really isn't in it. It's as Jesus will say to the Pharisees, you honor me with your lips, but your hearts are far from me. I didn't know anybody else's hearts and and maybe somebody else praying. They were praying just wonderful prayers to my ears, but their hearts were far from them. But what I knew was my own heart. And I knew that there there was something lacking. And Jesus addresses that. A hypocrisy in our piety, a a love for, for man's praise rather than a love for God's. 
And last Sunday, we, we spent our time dealing with Christ's warning concerning the, the seduction of man's praise and then the emptiness of it. It just bankrupt. It brings you nothing. Well, this morning, I want to address the question we left unanswered, more on the positive side of things. How do we then cultivate a heart that longs for God's praise? Maybe even as Pastor Chris asked us as we were singing, is that your prayer? Is Jesus all you want? Is he all you need? Is he all you have? Is that truly your prayer? You were sitting there thinking, I'm singing it, but I, I don't feel it. I don't have that heart. And you might be asking, how do I get there? Well, Jesus presents to us a path by teaching us how to pray. And we know this because compared to the other two acts of piety in this passage, giving to the needy or charity and fasting, prayer is given an extended discussion. It's given more time than the others, and I think it's because it's primary. It's the, it's the one by which the floodgates are opened, the floodgates of our heart, that is. And what I want us to see and what us, I want us to understand that that battle that when we come here, yeah, sometimes we're, we're coming and we're worshiping, hoping that our hearts will catch up, right? We come in here and we, and we go through worship structures to get our hearts caught up to what we hope will be true of us. But what I want us to see is prayer. Prayer is where we battle against our sinful flesh. And where we gain victory over the temptations to exchange the treasures of heaven for the perishable treasures of earth. Where you find your heart lacking in love, you go to prayer to battle. Many of us say that we struggle with sin, but I don't believe we really struggle. We just wave the white flag. When we go to prayer, we're going to battle. And oftentimes it's battling with our own heart, our own lack of desire, and we are pouring it out, and we are honest with God, and we say, Lord, I don't want you, but I want to want you. Do you ever pray like that? That's what Jesus is guiding us toward. So how can prayer be so powerful? How can it be the engine that, that jump-starts our heart? Well, because it's an expression of intimate communion with our Heavenly Father. The great Scottish reformer John Knox described prayer this way, through Christ, that's through faith in Christ, prayer is the earnest and familiar talking with God. And this is what Jesus is getting after when he repeatedly instructs us in, in verses 1 through 18 to seek out our Father who's in secret. You struggle with the praises of man, seek your Father who's in secret. And many of us say, well, that doesn't help me, I can't see. And so you don't even try. And Jesus repeatedly, after every time, seek your Father who is in secret. And this is where prayer comes in. This is what it tangibly looks like. Prayer is seeking our Father who we cannot yet see. So notice verse 7. 
Notice what we're not to be like then. We're not to be like the Gentiles, that's unbelievers, people who do not know God, who are trying to catch the ear of God. Do you sometimes feel like that's how you're praying? I've got to get it right. I've got to, maybe I, this time I'll get on my knees. Maybe, maybe I should go for the, the upward closing of the hands rather than the folding of the fingers. Maybe, maybe that posture uh, will get it together. Well, you know what? I didn't pray long enough. If I, if I just prayed a little bit longer, and Jesus says, that's like someone who doesn't know their father. My children never worry about their posture when they come to see me. In fact, I'll be lucky if some of them have pants on. My, my younger ones, they don't care. They're not worried about it. And Jesus says, the only people who are worried about what, what, what they look like are the people who don't know you. Don't, don't be like one who doesn't know the Father. And what Jesus wants us to know is that we already have our Father's ear. Don't be like the Gentiles. In fact, as every good Father, our Heavenly Father knows us intimately. And he, he, in fact, verse 8, He knows what we need before we ask Him. I always know what my children are coming after. And they, they, they preface it. And, and you know what, Daddy, Daddy, what if, what if, just, just spill it out. I know what you're going to ask. Great. Lily, you want to watch Trolls again today. I knew that. I knew that before you woke up, that that's what you would want to watch. You don't have to butter me up. Our Heavenly Father, He's better than us. He's all-knowing and ever-present. He's the God of the cosmos. And get this, brothers and sisters, He loves to commune with His children. And so we have to have that posture. Go seek your fathers who is in secret. He has wide-open arms, and He loves to talk to you. And so what I want us to see is that the Lord's Prayer teaches us that prayer is central to everything that we are called to do and be as followers of Christ. This is why one Bible teacher says it this way about the Lord's Prayer. The Lord's Prayer is the Christian's daily companion and prayer book. It's the Christian's daily companion and prayer book. And this prayer, brothers and sisters, it's simple enough that the most infant Christian can easily express it but profound enough that even the most mature will not lack words when they pray. This profound prayer. And for this reason, I want us to learn how to pray the Lord's Prayer. Not just to recite it. You can turn this into a, a ritual and just go through it and cite it, but it, it doesn't affect your heart. Well, Jesus is going to let us know that if we truly pray this prayer, our hearts is going to be engaged. And I want us to learn how to pray the Lord's Prayer, and in so doing, we'll learn to cultivate a heart that prays or longs for the praise of our Heavenly Father. So I want us to see the Lord prayer, Lord's Prayer guides us, number one, to long for our Father's purposes. It guides us to long for our Father's purposes. When we come to our Heavenly Father in prayer, we're, we're acknowledging something about Him. Our Father in heaven... There, there is majesty involved in this. There's adoration. And when we come to our, our Father in heaven, he, he's setting, Jesus is setting the priority. Who, who are we approaching? And we're, we're acknowledging His transcendence and His eminence. 
His power and His goodness, His holiness and His love. And all this is is packed in that first phrase, our Father who is in heaven. He's glorious. He is our Father, notice that. This is interesting here. Jesus, throughout this time, tells you, go pray in secret, and he addresses you individually, but when he teaches you to pray, you don't say, my Father, you say, our Father. Already he's getting your eyes off yourself. Already he is teaching you this is about loving God and loving neighbor. It's already dealing with the heart, do you see? If you pray, our Father, this isn't so much about you anymore, but it does include you. It's just not exclusive to you. And how is he our Father? Well, he's our Father because we are united to him through faith in his Son, Jesus. We're we're in Christ through repentance and faith, and now we're adopted sons and daughters, and now he's our Father. And so, because of that, we can boldly proceed to the throne of grace. We can boldly come to him, knowing that he is eager to hear us because we are his beloved children. And so it is through Christ that the Father has been revealed to us. And so with this posture, we come in with a posture. He's our heavenly, glorious, transcendent, all-powerful, all-knowing. Think about all the glorious attributes of God. He is our heavenly Father. And we pray to Him as such. Expressing our longing, notice the next phrase, for His name to be hallowed. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your name. I don't know about you, but I like my name to be revered. I like my praises to be sung. And this prayer begins to redirect my heart. I'm praying first and foremost, Father, that you would be revered in me in us, in the world. Do you see that? Setting the priority. And when we speak of God's name, what does that mean? I want your name to be hallowed or revered. Well, well, God's name is the essence of who he is. When Moses asked, who is it that that sends me? He says, tell them that I am has sent you. He, He is. His name is his essence. God reveals himself to Moses later and tells us that he is the Lord. He is Yahweh, a God merciful and gracious, slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love and faithfulness, keeping steadfast love for thousands, forgiving iniquity and transgression and and sin, and who by no means will clear the guilty. That's who God is. And we, when we go and we pray, your name be hallowed. That means to be revered. You would be praised. What do we want? We want his name to be renowned in everything that he is. That he's merciful and gracious, slow to anger and bounding in loving kindness, but yet he's holy and just. I I want to revere your name that way. 
And so this prayer actually calls us. You can see how, how the water, depending on where you are, can be shallow, but it can go deep. You can explore the name of God and the person of God in that first stanza for hours. And you won't exhaust it. But yet you can come like a sweet child and say, I want your name to be revered. And you can pray to your Heavenly Father. This prayer calls us to meditate upon who our Heavenly Father is. and To express to Him that we long for His name to be renowned through us. And this naturally leads us to the next phrase of the prayer, verse 10. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. And again, do you, do you see how this just rearranges your priorities? Think about right now, when do you get upset? Well, when your little kingdom gets crashing down, right? That's, no matter if it's a one-on-one conflict or something in your family or something here at church or in your neighborhood, when you lose it, it's because you wanted your kingdom to come. But Jesus is redirecting. No, I want my heart to long for, for your purposes. And I can't pray this and be tooting my own horn. I want your kingdom to come. Do you ever have plans? Do you ever plan for something? And you're working towards it, and it doesn't work out. Do you ever pray, Lord, as I do these things, at the end of the day, I want your kingdom to come. I want your will to be done, as opposed to mine. And so much that the things that I long to do align with your kingdom, let it come. But let your name be revered in it. Do you see how this is all deflecting? All deflecting. So what's the kingdom? What are we longing for when we're praying God's kingdom to come? Well, we've been learning through the Sermon on the Mount that this is the the message of the kingdom. Jesus is coming, preaching the gospel of the kingdom. He's been teaching us the, the kingdom ethic, if you will. And what God's kingdom is, is God's rule among His people in His presence. And we've already begun to experience this as Jesus has come and through the message of the gospel and the teaching of the righteousness of the kingdom. And what we're learning here is is that that Jesus begins to declare the virtues of the kingdom, the the righteousness of the kingdom. Think about the Beatitudes in chapter 5. What he's showing us is that his kingdom, his rule is life-giving. The kingdoms of this world are life-taking. Come follow me, and you will have life. We've only begun to taste to see that the Lord is good now. And so there is a real sense in which this prayer speaks of of his kingdom yet to come. And so we pray as we're in between Jesus' first coming and second coming, first that we would continue to submit to God's rule and his righteousness. That's what Jesus will say in verse 33 of chapter 6. Seek first the kingdom of God and His righteousness, and all these things will be added to you. What are all these things? All the things that we worry about all the time. Some of you are worried sick today. Seek first the kingdom. Seek your Father who's in secret and His righteousness, and I promise you it will be fine. might not be your kingdom come, but it will be His kingdom. But second, 
not only do we, when we pray, your kingdom come, I'm submitting myself to your kingdom rule, but second, we're asking that your kingdom would be manifested on earth. That our greatest longing, the greatest good that could possibly happen is that Jesus, you would come back. That your kingdom and your will that's done in heaven would be done on earth. Do you see how this prayer for our Heavenly Father's purposes recalibrates what we deem most important? Half of the prayer is all about God. The first half. It's all about Him and His goodness and His righteousness and His will. And ultimately, we're asking that it would be done here as it is in heaven. And so even if you do not yet long for His kingdom purposes, if you ever, maybe you're thinking this right now, yeah, I know that's what I should want, but I don't. You ever been in that boat? There's a million things that can go through our mind of, well, if Jesus comes back now, what about? One of the things, I'll just be honest, I, I think about is my own kids. Do they trust Christ? And what about other people I love? I want them to trust Christ. And if he comes, I'm just having to trust he, he has this in his perfect timing and, and his will will be done. And then there's just the other things. Maybe you're saying, there are things I'd like to accomplish. I'd tell you, on the new heavens, you can pursue this without the curse. <laughs> Be far greater. But maybe you express, you say, I know that's what my, I should pray. I know that's what I should long for, but I don't. Well, well, in actually praying this, you begin to train your heart towards what you should be praying. Sometimes we have to do what we know is true before our heart gets caught up to it. And many of us will just sit paralyzed because our heart's not there. And we'll say, well, I just don't feel it. I just can't do it. And therefore, I'm just going to hope that God somehow just zaps motivation into my heart and love into my heart. When he says, well, here's the way you do it. Come to me. Nope, don't feel it. Okay, come to me. Do you see how we, we do that? Honestly, this is where faith is exercised. This is exercising the muscle of faith. I'm seeking you in secret. I'm trusting that you have the course of history planned out, that your will is going to be done, and it is my greatest good and the greatest good of the world. I don't see it, but yet I want your kingdom to come. That's faith. That's trusting the promises of God over and against your own intuition. And so this prayer could be expressed this way. Heavenly Father, I have not cherished your purposes as I should. And I so pray now that your will be done and not mine. I know you are good and you always do what's right. And though I do not fully comprehend your purposes, I trust you. And so where my heart is misaligned, Father, I now pray, let your kingdom come and your will be done in my life. That your kingdom would be come and your will be done in my family, in my church, and in this world in which we live. You can pray like that. You can be honest. 
And it's through that communion and getting to know your Heavenly Father that you'll begin to actually long for those purposes. You begin doing better than you know. And so prayer for our Heavenly Father's purposes directs our heart's priorities heavenward. You can see that. But it also calibrates how we pray regarding to our own needs. And, and so with this mindset, we, we second long for our Heavenly Father's provision. We long for our Father's provision, and He, he moves right into, this is, this is usually our starting point. This is what I need, but now my, my priorities have been at least re- rearranged. But notice that our needs are, are important to the Lord. They are important to Him. And so Jesus teaches us to pray, give us this day our daily bread. Now on the surface, for most of us, this prayer seems utterly unnecessary, doesn't it? Give us this day our daily bread. Most of us don't suffer from lack, do we? If we're hungry, I open up the fridge and I find something. And I bypass everything in the fridge and I close it and then I go to the pantry. And I look at it and and the issue is that there isn't food, it's that I don't want to have to work for it, right? That, that requires me opening that can and heating it up or getting it out or cooking it or, or prepping it. We got food everywhere. And for most of us, we end up throwing much of that food away. I can't tell you how many times that I, I pull out and I'm digging up. Oh, there's another bag of buns that we didn't even open that look furry fuzzballs. I'm going to throw those away. Or the, 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 the mounds of strawberries in the fridge that got tucked away behind the milk and the orange juice you forgot about. And that whole batch right there. Oh, yep, furry fuzzballs. We're throwing that one away. We're, we look at this prayer. And we say, yeah, that's for other people. But, but I want to argue, no, it is for us. Though we live in abundance, and we do, We live in a country of great abundance. The Lord instructs us to recognize that everything we have comes from His hand. Yes, we live in an abundant country, but we live in a very prideful country that thinks that it's independent and doesn't realize that everything that we have been given has been given from the hand of God. And we think we don't need daily bread, that we've got our barns full And so by asking our Father to meet our most basic need of bread, we're actually acknowledging our utter dependence upon Him. In just a moment, our lives can be changed, can't they? And what we assumed would be a normal day isn't a normal day. And we need, yes, our Heavenly Father to sustain us with food, but the idea here is is our basic necessities. Clearly, He's not limiting it to bread because you need water. And He's going to go on later and talk about what uh, uh, you'll wear later in chapter 6. He's talking about those things that that we, we would put in our needs category. Things that we need to function and so when you it kind of expand it, this includes clothing, housing. And maybe you're like, I've got all that. Well, what about a functioning body? Maybe health is now becoming a concern 
Lord, sustain me. Even relationships. You can have all the things of this world, but if you don't have friends, they're nothing, right? And maybe this is your prayer, Lord. Sustain me in relationships today because I'm lonely. Right now, I've been watching this show called Alone. Uh, It's on the History Channel, and I'm fascinated by it because it's like the introvert's dream come true. You get dropped off into uh, an island in, uh, in the wilderness all by yourself. And you get to live by yourself in, in tents. You have 10 items. And there's 10 people. And you're isolated all throughout this, this uh, island. And basically, it's a contest. The last one standing wins the prize. That's the idea of the, of the show. And in the first two weeks, the first two episodes, it begins dominoes quickly fall. You find out who really doesn't have the skill set if you will. The ones who, who thought they, they could make a fire, but they didn't realize, how do I make a fire when everything's doused in snow? What do I do? That, you know, then there's the people who, who know how to, how to how dry their wood ahead of time and get it all ready. But there's kind of this initial weeding out. But then you get the core, and, and you find these people are gifted. They can, they can make cabins and, and chimneys and boats and their own bows, and they've got all sorts of traps set up to, to catch uh, uh, um, um, wolverines and, and bunnies and squirrels. And, and one guy this time caught himself a moose. Caught himself a moose. But you know what causes them to start dropping like flies? They're lonely. They have every need met. They have the skill set to do it. But what breaks them down to their core is that they usually they miss their family. They can't survive. I think the longest someone's ever made it on this show is two months. I don't remember. It's like three days without water, two weeks without food. Well, three, three months without friends. And you can't make it. And this prayer invites us to cast our cares upon God knowing that He cares for us. Maybe it's not your daily bread that you're so concerned about, but it's your daily friends or your daily health. It really causes us to give thanks to God and come to grips with our own mortality and really moves us from praying for our greeds to really praying for our needs. And I begin to, to cry out to God, recognizing that my life is only a vapor. It's here for a moment, and then it's gone. If we'll slow down, if you will slow down for just a moment to pray and ponder your life, you'll see your need for the Father's provision. You'll be honest with yourself. But our needs are not merely physical That's why we must also long for our Father's pardon. Our Father's pardon. And notice, we move in to to forgive us our debts. We're to ask God to forgive us our debts. And he's he's speaking here of our our sins. He'll he'll, he'll call it that in verses 14 and 15, our trespasses. And what he's talking about here is our sins of uh, omission and commission. You might know what I mean by that. Omission or are, you know, the, the sins that you deliberately do things that are against God's will or you don't do the things that God has positively commanded you to. 
He's commissioned you to not do something, and you do it. And then you decide not to obey things he has called you to do. Those are our debts to God, if you will. And it speaks of where we have not lived in accordance to what we've just prayed. Your kingdom come, your will be done, your name to be revered. Because once you've walked through that path of prayer, oh, you can't get out of those first lines without confessing your sin, can you? Lord, I don't do this. And you begin to become mindful of where your heart has wandered. But yet this hallowing of God's name is what he expects of his creatures, those made in his image. And instead of giving him glory, we have taken glory. We are, we are glory thieves instead of glory reflectors. We steal the glory. We want the glory. And we have to confess, Lord, we want to give the glory. And yet in Christ, our Father lavishes his grace upon us, doesn't he? In Christ, we're reminded. This is where we apply the gospel to ourselves every day. Because we're coming back to the gospel and trusting, Jesus, it is only in you that my sins can be washed away because this guy doesn't have it together. I'm harsh with people. I'm unkind. I'm merciless. I am self-absorbed. I only think about me, myself, and I. And everybody else around me is aware of it but me. And you begin to just really deal with, the, with the, the remnants of sin that are just running rampant in your heart when you pray this prayer. And we come and we say, Father, forgive me. Thank you for Jesus who covers my sin. Forgive me, Father. And please reveal me in my, in my heart any other waywardness. And in doing so, we set our minds and our hearts on the cross of Christ, knowing, again, that it's only Him him who takes away our sins. But notice in the second element of the stanza, there's a condition to this prayer. It's actually rather scary. It's an element, if genuine brokenness is absent, this prayer actually becomes a curse. Do you see what he says? Forgive us of our debts as... So, Father, treat me as I treat others. Whoa, talk about getting to the heart. Do you want that standard placed on you? Treat me as I treat others. Forgive us of our debts as we also have forgiven our debtors. Do you see he's going right after the heart? Oh, you can, you can pray that prayer, but... Have you ever gone to the Lord in prayer and you know you have sinned against somebody? Jesus doesn't let you off the hook. You go deal with that. We saw that in chapter 5, didn't we? You can't go worship in bitter angerness towards your, your brother or sister, your spouse, your daughter, your son. You can't pretend to worship, but yet you're, you're just flamed with passionate anger towards them. Or you have wronged them in some way. This is where the Spirit works, and this is where that battling and prayer begins to happen. Lord, forgive me of my sins. Oh, yeah, that one that I haven't made right just stops us dead in our tracks, forces us to be genuine, doesn't it? 
See, one cannot claim to know the grace of God and withhold such grace to others. That's what Jesus is really getting at. He's going after this hypocrisy. You can't claim to know the grace of God if it doesn't affect your life. And it really gets to the heart of the matter. And this arresting qualification is given further comment because it's so arresting in verses 14 and 15. And Jesus kind of double downs on it. He says, for if you forgive your others their trespasses, your heavenly Father will also forgive you. But if you do not forgive others their trespasses, neither will your Father forgive your trespasses. Now, as good Protestants, that's making us very nervous. Because that sounds like I have to do something to earn God's forgiveness. So, Jesus, what are you doing here? Are you putting forth some works-based salvation? No, that's not what he's doing. Jesus is reiterating. This is what he's doing. He's reiterating the virtues of the kingdom that he's expounded upon already in the Beatitudes. And his explanation of righteousness. Such as, blessed are the merciful, for they shall receive mercy. He's saying, those who have truly followed me and have their hearts transformed, those who truly love God will love their neighbor. That's what he's getting after. And you might be able to go through all the motions. You might be able to look like a worshiper on the outside. But if you merely honor him with your lips and your heart is far from you, from far from him, you will remain in your sins. Those who have truly come to know God in Christ will have their hearts transformed, Jesus is saying, to express this love of Christ to their neighbor. One cannot claim to know God if one does not exemplify the love of God. This is how they will know you're my disciples, that you love one another. John and 1 John will say, You claim to love God, but you hate your brother. You're a liar. You claim to love God, but you love the world. You make yourself an enemy of God, James says. He really doesn't give us any wiggle room. I want your heart, your mind, your soul, and your strength, Jesus says. And so this pardon, this prayer for pardon, forces us to deal with every remnant of sin that's just residing and put our trust wholly in Him. And and get this, brothers and sisters, this will make you soft towards other people, won't it? This is not perfection. But you begin to realize, wow, I can't even discern my own heart. You'll stop trying to discern everybody else's heart. I mean, if you realize, Lord, I want you to treat me as I treat others, wow, that's going to express itself in some great kindness towards other people, isn't it? Aren't there times that, yeah, you've sinned against somebody, but it was out of, I'm not saying it's like a freebie or anything, just out of pressures that you, you didn't know what to deal, you lashed out because there are other pressures in your life, or you acted in a certain way because you didn't know better. There's all sorts of things, and you can't even explain it to somebody, and someone was so harsh and, and, and mean towards you. And you just said, you, you don't understand what's going on in my heart. then you realize, man, I I probably should be more gracious because I don't know what's going on. And Jesus really gets after the person who has the critical spirit. 
who's always nitpicking, who's setting a bar that no one could ever measure, and this prayer says, judge me as I judge others. He'll say that later. It's the most famous book of the Bible now. Chapter 7, verse 1, judge not lest you be judged, for with the judgment you pronounce will be judged, and with the measure you used will be measured to you. I don't know about you, but I want to be measured by the mercy of Christ. It lavishes love and assumes the best and doesn't assume the worst, because that's what I want people to treat me. And this prayer really gets down to it, begins to work on your heart, your critical heart, If you find yourself constantly criticizing others, this prayer doesn't let you off the hook. All right, last one. We long for the Father's protection. You come out of that second to last stanza, and right now, man, I feel pretty beaten up. And so now we're... We kind of reflect on this prayer. We've asked our sovereign, all-powerful, all-good Father to keep us now from stumbling. We're now pleading with Him to protect us from the evil one's schemes, that we would not fall trapped to do His will. Because we've just been honest with the Lord. My heart has a trajectory this way. So Lord, now that I've confessed these things, help me not fall into temptation. Do you see that natural progression here? Help me. And we begin to beg God. And this is where you are the most honest and real. Because really those sins of our heart, the desires of the flesh, I can't separate myself from them. And at times it's every fiber of our being that longs this. And I look at the word and I say, Lord, I know that's contrary to your will, but everything in me wants it. And so we begin to pray and lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from the evil one. Deliver us from evil. Begin to beg God, grant us repentance, grant me greater faith to love what is good and to believe what is true. And Father, will you guide me? Guide me. Most of us say, Lord, lead us in the ways we should go. Well, that really means the ways that I'm already walking. Just make them smooth sailing. No, this prayer says, lead me not down the pet. The things that I yet cannot see, the things that are out of my control. Don't let my heart be my guide. Let your word be a lamp to my feet and a light into my path. Grip my heart, Lord. Keep me from sitting in the seat of scoffers and lead me down the way of righteousness. This is again an example of where we begin praying what we know to be true of God. We pray the promises of God. James tells us that God doesn't tempt anyone for evil. doesn't mean that God doesn't test. He doesn't test for the end of evil, but the evil one does. He tests for evil. And you should be thinking about Jesus' wilderness temptation. The Spirit led him in for a period of testing. Well, what God meant for good, Satan meant for evil. And what we're asking, and, and, and Paul reflects on this in, in, uh, and, uh, in, in 2 Corinthians chapter 10, or, yeah, that no temptation has overcome us, which is not common to man. 
And what we're praying here is, Lord, I know the tempter is coming. Deliver me through it. Deliver me through it. That'd be nice if, Lord, you wouldn't even lead me down that path. I'm weak right now. And if that temptation arrived at my doorstep, I don't know if I could. But I'm begging you by your Spirit to lead me not in the way of temptation. Do you see how this prayer really is just getting at our heart? It's massaging it. It's shaping it. It's, it's, it's shaping it. And we're now acknowledging our own proclivities to sin and longing for God's now intervention. So in this passage, Jesus has graced his disciples. He's graced us with a pattern, a model, if you will, a paradigm for praying, a structure to commune with our Heavenly Father. And this structure doesn't actually, it doesn't constrain us. It actually gives us freedom and liberates us, doesn't it? Some of us don't know don't pray because we, we don't know what to do. Well, Jesus says, follow this structure. Paths help you. They bring great freedom. If you've ever been uh, in, a, in a job or, or a workplace or volunteered and someone says, hey, I need you to do this, this, or that, but they don't show you how, it's great restraint to you. you. You feel paralyzed. I don't know where to begin. I don't know what to do. I don't know where the tools are. I don't know, I don't know who to ask. But, but the good boss says, hey, here, here's who you need to talk to. Here's what you need to do. Here's how I can help you and, and, and get you on your way. And you find it as great freedom. The anxieties are gone. Well, some of us get very anxious in prayer because we won't just go to the Lord's Prayer. And we become very anxious and become guilt-ridden. And we think, I, I must not be loved by my Heavenly Father. And He's saying, I've already told you how to come to me. And in fact, if you'll come to me in this way, and you'll acknowledge these longings and these purposes and, 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 and all these priorities, it'll actually cultivate within you a heart to love my purposes, the Father says. It'll cultivate in your heart to long for my provision. It'll cultivate in your heart a longing for my pardon. And it'll cultivate your, in your heart a longing for my protection. And when you begin to realize this, you, you realize that I cannot go a day without him. That this really is showing that man does not live by bread alone, but every word that proceeds from the mouth of God. And so as I conclude, I, I want to exhort you just briefly, tangibly. You've been instructed how to pray. From the Lord's Prayer. And so whether you have been praying and have a, a healthy prayer life, or if you're sitting here today saying, I don't pray, and you want to start, what I want to encourage you is let prayer become your daily priority. Daily. Many of you are on some sort of medication, I presume. And you are told by the doctor, you must take this daily or your problem will not go away. And you don't miss. It's because you think you need that. And you probably do. But the reason we don't pray is because we don't think we need. Our hearts have already wandered at that point. Let the Lord's Prayer serve as a structure to guide your prayers as you pray for yourself and intercede for others. You might want to write this down. I'll 
try and send this out in some fashion, but you could pray one week or one day of the week for your family and work through the Lord's Prayer. Just let's pray that our Father who art in heaven, hallowed be your name, and, and have your family in view. And then the next day, your community group. And then the next day, your pastors. I would, I would greatly appreciate that. The next day, your church as a whole. The next day, your neighbors. The next day, the world. And think with a missions context. And right there, if you did all that, you'd have your whole week of prayer lined out. And I, I venture to say, if you, if you could carve out five minutes before your day starts and pray this prayer, you'll actually find, well, the time flew. What used to be a strain to get 30 seconds out of time with prayer, you'll find that you don't have the time in the day to pray as long as you want. And then let your prayers flow as a response to listening to God speaking His Word. That's really what this is, isn't it? I trust that right now some of you are saying that's liberating. I've never seen that in the Lord's Prayer. I've never really understood it. I just thought it was this litany that just didn't really have much there. But oh, you're seeing the depths and the crevices and the valleys of this prayer. You say, I can do that. And that's my prayer that you would. Wherever you find Christians, beloved, you will find the Lord's Prayer. And the Lord's Prayer has guided believers in the way to pray for over 2,000 years. Did you know that? And therefore, I want to invite you to commit to praying this prayer every day. Work it into your structure. Not as a, as a routine. The, if you're really dealing with the heart, it won't let you. And let it guide your heart, shape your desires, set your priorities, and and you will begin to taste and see that the Lord is good. You will. Let's pray. You are our Heavenly Father, and you know how to give good gifts to us. And every good gift comes from our Heavenly Father who is above. There's no shadow of change who does not lie. And Father, we pray even now that as we have sat at the feet of your Son, Jesus, and, and, and been instructed in how to pray, Lord, we pray that your will would be done and that we would pray. That your name would be revealed in our secret places when we meet with you. That your name would be revealed in our families. Your name would be revealed, revered in our community groups and in this church and in all the circles that we walk in which we live. And as, as your gospel goes to the ends of the earth, Lord, it is our prayer that your kingdom would come. Lord, please meet our needs today. For many of us are longing Maybe some of us are anxious because we've lost a job and the bills are tight and the debt is accruing. Lord, meet their needs. Maybe we've feeling pain or feeling a lump where we don't used to not have one or we've received news from a doctor that, that has brought us great trouble and Lord, we, we, are, we are anxious. Lord, please preserve our lives. Lord, I pray for those here who, who long for companionship. They long for a friend. They long for a family. They long for grandchildren. They long for a spouse. They, 
I just long for a roommate. Lord, I pray that you would sustain us with this community of faith. And Lord, if it be your will, that you would give us those desires. Lord, forgive us of our sins where we've been harsh with one another, where we have presumed upon your grace, where we have harbored bitterness, where we have not revered your name. And Lord, as we disperse from this place, I pray, Lord, that you would not lead us into temptation, that you would not let our hearts just, just run off, that, Lord, that you would keep them focused on what we have just heard. And, Lord, we pray that you would, that you would deliver us from the evil one and all his schemes as he seeks to lead us astray and destroy your children. Lord, we know that you have delivered us in the cross, that you, ha- that you will deliver us in, in the daily battles against the flesh, and ultimately we long for the deliverance that comes when you return. Lord, that's our prayer, so that your will would be done in our lives. And we pray this thing, these things in Jesus' name. Amen. All right, let's pray, or let's stand, and let's not pray, let's sing. How about that? <laughs>